We're going to be live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And tonight, folks, I got to tell you, the people that waited in line, they're in luck. Tonight's a big show. I have known our guest tonight for about 30 years. We went to college together. We actually were roommates for three weeks, four weeks. We were in the, we were in the same fraternity. Uh, we went to a couple of dead shows together, avoided getting arrested. We went to a Rolling Stones concert or two, a few Red Sox games here and there, a couple of weddings, several other events. Bottom line is we've had a lot of fun together, and, uh, and he's a pro at it. He's an instant party, always smiling, ready for a laugh, but at the same time, he's also able to have a serious talk, and uh, he's a huge fan of music, and he's an all-around great guy who has become quite successful in his field, so I hope I don't fuck that up here. Please help me welcome to the No Outlet Podcast, Mr. Judd Marcello. <laughs> what an intro. What an intro. The best part about that intro is you listen off a whole bunch of things we've done together. I don't remember half of them. <laughs> well, it took me a while to think of them. It took me a couple of weeks. That's why it took so long to get you on the show. I, I wrote fucking... them down just in case I wanted to talk about them. I had to get hypnotized to have those things come back into my memory. <laughs> All right, so we're going to play a game called 20 Questions, and it always starts in the exact same place, and that's question number one. Question one, do you believe in the possibility of somebody losing the ability to ever be normal again? I have empirical evidence uh, that this is a true statement. It is possible for one person perceived to be normal to become unnormal. And never go back again. No, it's non-normal. It's, it's totally possible. Non-normal. It's <laughs> Ethan. Will I ever be normal again? I think that's about as existential a question as you could possibly ask. It's right up there with "Is there a God?" That's right. And that's right. Uh, I, I really don't think there's a there's a good way to answer it. <laughs> I did my best. I did my best. I had to lie to him. I told him he'd be you fine. Did. Uh, he definitely you did. was. And you looked him right in the eye too. Uh, the the one in the middle of his forehead at the time, and uh, told. <laughs> I thought he was going to open up the back of the van and just roll down the highway that we were on. I'm just like, I got to keep this kid sane. I did my best. He, he, he wouldn't have been able to jump out of the van because his uh, his uh, sneakers were stuck to the rug. So thick with muck. And uh, nobody could move once they touched that thing. That poor man. Oh, God. All right. So uh, next question. Uh, what would okay. prompt somebody to walk into a closed door, bounce off that door, and then try to walk through that door again. Why would that ever happen? I am a lizard, tiny and small, a bag of flesh stuck on the wall. I am a maggot and cannot stand it. I'm the ugliest being on the face of the planet. <laughs> That's Pulitzer worthy. That that poem. It, it is. And and what what makes that impressive? Uh, you know, a ten on the dismount is that um, that individual is chewing their own hair. While they recited that poem, I forgot about that part. <laughs> uh, that, that's that is right there. That's exactly. If anybody recites that at any moment in their given life, they will walk into a door uh, unprompted. Unprompted. Yeah. No. It's it, it was quite a sight to behold. I'm, I'm glad I was there to actually witness it. Ethan, I just want to tell you. As soon as you ask, as soon as you mentioned that, I knew exactly what you're talking about. And as real as it can possibly be, I feel us in that moment oh. when that happened and felt the reverberations of the door and us laughing, laughing, laughing for so long. I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it, like it's happening right now. I can see it. All right. Let's hey, get, listen. Yeah, go ahead. So far, anybody listening to this is going gonna, is gonna to have no idea what we're talking about. That's I mean, the best is there part. Like a, is there an uncut version of this where we tell the stories behind the story? That's for the vault, yes. That'll, that'll be okay, part awesome. two down the road, yep. Um, cool. All right, now we're going to get serious. Here's a serious question. Did the I'm Rolling sure. Stones have Brian Jones killed, or was he just a stupid, hmm. drunk idiot that fell into a pool when he was too wasted? Uh, all of the above. Oh. All of the above. No, no, I think it's no, no, no. I don't think they had him killed. I don't. I don't think okay. so at all. I think he. Uh, I think he just. I think he got taken advantage of. To be honest with you, I think he was just rock star status. Yeah. I think they. If 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 they were if they were to blame, yep. they being the other Rolling Stones, it was that. You know, he took his girlfriend, and uh, um, and uh, you know, and then he 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 just became a nothing yeah. uh, in the band. He just wasn't doing. It. He was a driving force at the outset. 
you know, he got caught in the Klieg light and then that was it for him. And yeah. then they're kind of like, okay, we're moving on. Yeah. And you're a much better, you know, you're a historian of the stones much more than I am. But what I understand is that not only was he a leading force, but he was kind of like the founding member oh, yeah. and, and lead guy. And then all of a sudden he was just, like you said, he was eclipsed and he just floated away. And the reason, well, the reason why I asked that question was yeah. uh, someone that we went to school with, with the initials DQ, um, once told me many years ago that he was convinced that he was becoming too big of a problem in the band, and so they they staged his murder. I'm, and I, and at the, when he first said it, I'm like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then I started thinking about it, and uh, you know, we were in altered states back then. Sometimes I started to wonder, could that be true? So I figured I'd ask the expert right now. So I'm glad you put that to rest. I, I tell you, I, I, if if shuffling him out of the uh, the side door of the uh, uh, of the of the of the van uh, into oblivion was killing him, then yeah, they're guilty, but I don't think they set him up. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. Uh, if you could, please, we've got a, a wrapped uh, full audience here and people listening, obviously, could you please state for our audience some of the reasons, and there are many, why vinyl records are something mm -hmm. that should be revered and cherished and not laughed at. Okay. Excellent. I can do this. My vinyl collection is now close to 800. Whoa. And, uh, you know, I'm a make crazy music fan. So my, um, okay, I'm going to answer your question directly. And I'll tell you what I think. Mm -hmm. So um, I am not an audiophile. Okay. okay. I do not geek out over um, uh, intricate sound systems and spend lots and lots of money on them. I'm, and, and uh, so I'll say that because I, I'm not going to wax on about, no pun intended, wax on about like uh, um, why they sound better. Now I will tell you this, they do sound better. You have a quality stereo, you have a quality set of headphones, and you put on, um, you know, a first pressing of an album or it's a high high grade vinyl. Um, it's going to sound different. It's going to sound it's going to sound more full. All those things that people say. Now, the reason why I love them so much is, I guess it's part nostalgia in a way. Yep, but um, totally. I love the I love the experience of putting on a record, listening to side one, listening to side two. I read it. I look at the album cover, I read the jacket, yeah. I read the lyrics. I like to know who produced what. And most of the records I have, I already know that anyway, but I still love it. Yeah. I like to take the album out. I like to put the album cover on display as like I'm in a record shop. Like people are going to walk in and I'll be able to impress them with my prowess in my own home. And I'll put the record on. I, I love it. I love that part of it because it makes me focus on the music. It's my favorite thing to do, listen to them. And, um, so I love collecting them too. I love my record collection. When I was a kid, mm -hmm. um, whenever we'd go to somebody's house, like, you know, parents would take me over to somebody's house because they were going to go visit their friends. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm 49, right? So when I was a kid, the people had records in their house. And the first thing I would do is go over to their record collection and see what they listened to. Like, I love it. So my record collection, if you could see it, it's like on display when you come into where we live. Oh, that's awesome. And um, it's awesome, man. I love it. And I love looking at it. I love knowing it's there. I love knowing that those the music's like up against the wall, so to speak. And uh, I can listen to records whenever I want. And I love doing it late at night. Let's go to sleep, have a beer, chill out, put, uh, put a record on. It's the best. I, you know what? I agree with everything you just said. I, I was lucky enough to have two parents that were also very into music. And yep. um, they had a great collection. And I remember listening to, you know, Sgt. Pepper and, and opening it up and looking at all the pictures and like wondering like, wow, what does all this mean? And like reading the words and trying totally. to figure out what the fuck were these guys on? What were they thinking? What is this all? You know, and, and it's that, that personal, that connection, that storytelling element of the musicians kind of, you know, giving you a full experience. Like here's our artwork, here's our lyrics, here's side one, here's side two. That's, that's, right. what we're that's lost with, with today. You know, it's just, it's yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And look, I love the fact that you can stream stuff. And I used to be, in a way, I used to define myself by my record collection and talk about it with people. I kind of still do. Yep. But, like, I actually have a record collection, not just a, a bunch of shit I follow in Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. And don't get me wrong. I have four premium music subscriptions to four different services. You know, it's like I, I'm a freak about it. And um, But I, I still love the record collection. Okay, wait a minute. I need to know the four. Obviously, one Spotify. What are the other One three? Spotify. Yeah. One Spotify because everyone uses it. It's a good experience. The other one's Apple because I have all these okay. Apple stuff. And I have I have so much stuff uploaded to um, iTunes Match, whatever that yep. service is, yep. from, from, from a, over a decade ago that you can't find anywhere. I don't want to lose it, so I maintain that. Yep. I have uh, um, Amazon HD Music because it comes with Amazon Prime, and I pay, pay the extra for that because yep. I don't know why. 
And then uh, um, I have a subscription to Title, and mostly because Title, um, if you, well, I have a DAC. You know what a DAC is? Digital Audio Converter. It's like a little. It looks like the size of a, a, a pack of cards okay. and um, probably like 500 bucks. And uh, if you have a quality pair of headphones and you plug your iPhone in it, it, it transfers everything to uh, analog quality audio. Oh. So if you listen to title, you get like vinyl audio experience in it. Oh, that's so, cool. Um, I didn't know that. That's really cool. And then I have one more. I think I have five. One of them is um, uh, a subscription to Neil Young's, uh, Neil Young archives, like his entire musical career, bootlegs, uh, official albums, um, movies, videos, handwritten lyric notes, everything you could, he possibly has ever done. He has it in a service and you can have access to it. That is worth the subscription right there. Um, it's awesome. It's yeah. a really cool experience. Hey, what exactly does it mean or what does it really take to be poised to be nasty? If I get crazy. Okay. So, um, you have to um, grow up in a town of about 19,000 people okay. uh, in the lower corner of New Hampshire. Step one. Um, step one. Yep. Step two, you have, to have, you have to have a small town mentality okay. where um, you think big words uh, can allow you to do great things. <laughs> and, um, and you have to be part of a high school that has a football team where um, you have a complete uh, losing record, uh, be one in 12 for your senior year and uh, have the coach continue to think that that would be a great slogan for um, the football team to go out and play uh, and support and yep. to do that in front of everybody and have it painted on a barn. <laughs> and, um, and then to look at it every day, you go out there and under, I don't know what be nasty is. This sounds like, this just sounds like something that I shouldn't even be allowed to look at by my parents. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. That's that's the right there answer go. right there. <clears throat> that's very that's well broken down. Thank you. So anyone out there looking to be poised to be nasty, there you go. You've got a step-by-step how-to <laughs> uh, set of instructions. Hey, who was your favorite college professor at Plymouth? Easy. Um, Dr. John Burt. There you go. He was he was a favorite college professor, and I have total respect for this guy. I only knew him for a little while. I'll tell you why. So, number one, he was our fraternity advisor. Mm-hmm. Number two, ultimately, Doctor Burt was never even a doctor. Like he, he he didn't even have the credentials that he said he did, and he taught at the school for ages, and he and he ran the marketing department. He was highly regarded. Oh, absolutely. And um, and and I I loved him for that, right? Because. Not only is that just like the ultimate marketing job, but, you know, the guy had the balls enough to do that. He's a pirate. Um, and he's a total pirate. And he was our fraternity advisor. So every now and then, and we lived across from like his main, the main building, the name of it, where he did all his classes. And so he'd need a place to park. Yeah. And so sometimes he'd come over and park in the, in the driveway of the fraternity house. First of all, we thought he was nuts. And so uh, for doing that, because you never knew, you never knew what was going to happen in that driveway. But one time, Two stories. So one time he came over to the house yep. and uh, we had a party the night before. So it was Friday morning. And he starts yelling my name uh, up the stairs. And uh, so I came out. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, I was like, hello. I was like, is that you, Dr. Burt? So I slithered out of my room and walked down to my underwear. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, can I park my car out there? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. We'll take care of it. We'll make sure nothing happens. He's like, no problem. He's like, hey, we got class in 10 minutes. You coming? I was like, nope. <laughs> Another time, another uh, time, uh, another time he was, uh, uh, we, you know, we went to school up in Northern New Hampshire and myself, this guy and these two gals, uh, we decided to go to Canada on a Sunday night. Oh, cool. And, um, because one of the gals had, uh, her family had like a lake house up there mm-hmm. on the other side of the border. So we went up on Sunday night, we we're going to stay for a couple of days and, um, I ended up staying for like 10 days, didn't come back. Jesus and, Christ. Uh, yeah. And, um, Things got crazy. And then what happened was uh, we had like midterms that week, with Dr. Burr. And so my good buddy, uh, uh, DM, we don't want to use names, yep. you know, DM, sure, and uh, sure. better, known as, better known as W, he, he, he and I were in the class together and he went in and um, Dr. Burr was like, hey, hey, uh, hey, D, where's, where's Judd? Where, what happened to him? He's like, oh, uh, he's stuck in Canada. He can't come in. And Dr. Burr was like, does he need my help? Does he need me to go to the border and get him? <laughs> he was the guy was like, I missed the midterm. He didn't care. He just like, does he need my help? Last thing I'll tell you is this 
one time, one dude and our the same guy, see, he was staying over in a sorority house one night and he ended up sleeping in the second floor. And he decided the next morning that he didn't want to walk down the stairs and he'd rather jump out the second story window oh, into a snowbank yeah. to get away. And when he did, um, and he jumped in, instead of landing on the snowbank and rolling off, he sunk up to his armpits and got stuck. And uh, so, <laughs> so that's, all the people in the sorority house came oh, out of the house. Oh and they were God. taunting him and he couldn't get out of the snow. And all these people were going to class. And they were pointing their finger at him like, look at that idiot. And Dr. Burr walked, walked by and said to him, oh, D, uh, apparently you have yourself into a situation. Should I be expecting you in class today? <laughs> Just like walked off. I think oh, that was awesome. God, I love that. Yeah, he, he was, when I wrote the question down, I thought you were either going to say him. I was hoping you'd say him. Or that guy, Marcioni. What's his other, the other guy? The oh, other, and, uh, Bart Marcioni. I forgot about that guy. But I don't know who that guy was. I forget him. He was the guy that made a comment about like, some somebody came into class late and he had like, he had gotten the clap or something. And the guy, and the teacher's like in front of the hood, ah, been there. He was yeah. like, <laughs> I forget his name though. And he was like, he used to leave a tie in his desk. Yeah, who was in. that guy? It was. I think his last name was like Marchione or didn't he have a bad mustache or oh, something? I think terrible. Looked like a porn star from the seventies. Yeah. Yep, I'm remembering him now. That's yeah. Him. Um, okay, at the time that you first heard about the concept known as the smart system, what odds <laughs> would you have given it to actually become <laughs> true technology? Boy, talk about a long shot, right? <laughs> Um, you know, yes, the smart system was, was it just a twinkle in young Cooter's eye Holy at the time? Boy. And, and, uh, yeah, man, like he was right. That, that, that crazy bastard was, <laughs> he was spot on and we just ragged on the fucker. We just were just like, Oh, come on. Couture, that's so stupid. Who would ever want everything in one who would, you'd never be able to do it. He was literally 25 years ahead of everybody, everybody. He was. And oddly enough, at the same time, he was 20, 25 years behind everybody. It was a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the fourth dimension. Oh, he, um, arguably one of my favorite people ever. Um, my, my favorite thing he ever did was um, there was a, where we went to school, there was a place called Carl, Carl's Market. Sure. And um, it was uh, you know, a little bit of a drive, but you went there to get um, you know, cheap beer and, and, and they made great sandwiches, like yep. subs. And, um, and, uh, so one time we went in there and Cooter, uh, didn't want to pay for a sub. So he challenged Carl to a wrestling match. And if they won, if he won, he would get his sub for free. And then they proceeded to have like this WWF wrestling match in the middle of Carl's the owner of the store. He, he was a big guy. I remember. <laughs> they just had a knockdown drag out fight. <laughs> so of, who won? I, I forget who won. Uh, Cooter. He did win. Fucking fought for his meal, man. He did. He it was awesome. Numbers. So speaking, so this is a perfect segue to my next question. So how, from your own personal experience, how many times have you personally ever woken up the owner of a convenience store at one thirty in the morning <laughs> to try to persuade him to sell you a few more barrels of beer? I knew you were going to say this. And what, what, the person that persuaded him did it very forcefully. <laughs> Basically, he said, he called him at one thirty-two in the morning and said, we're out of beer. We need some now. I can't give it to you. Yes, you can. I'm coming over whether you want me to or not. You should just take three cases of natural light and put them on the back step, and I'll come pay you tomorrow. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yep. It was, uh, it, it was a very convenient uh, relationship, for sure. It was. It was. All right. Can you please explain to our audience and those folks listening what it's like to witness Morgana, the Kissing Bandit, live at Fenway Park? Do you remember that? Um, is that when you and uh, yes, that's when you and I went. Yes, and she came out and kissed Roger Clemens. Is that right? That's a hundred percent right. Okay, yep. And I think I it was when you. Roger Clemens was with the Yankees. I'm pretty sure it was one of his first I don't games rem- with the Yankees. I don't know about that. Now, what I will tell you is, mm-hmm. you just went to the deep dark recesses of my mind because what I remember about that is. We drove there from Portsmouth, and I remember, I think we listened to Frank Sinatra the entire way, 
Uh, Jay, well, Jay was, yeah, a friend of mine, Jay, was driving, and he was a, a big Frank Sinatra guy, so that makes sense. I don't remember that, but I, that makes sense. I do think that Jack Clark was on the team and hit a home run that day. He definitely did. It was a crazy game. It was like 18 to 17. And I think it went like 14 innings. It was extra innings. There was so many things that happened that were nuts. So Morgana came out. uh, It was like 35 total runs, 14 innings. um, And then so based on that experience, how much do you think that LED big screen technology has improved at sporting events since then? Or more specifically, do you think that- I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? Do you think that today they could improve the picture of Carlos Quintana? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Is is that what you're going to say? It's written right here. The exact words I have written are, do you think they could accurately represent the likeness of Carlos Quintana? Uh, Oh, that poor guy. I think about that all the time. And I just want to say for our listeners, that was a very interesting, deep, thought game <laughs> like none other that i've been to before or since <laughs> the craziest time ever to be there for a 15 inning game of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the timing was perfect it was perfect you could say that hey if you could travel to any point in time obviously in the past oh and see any musical artist <sighs> mm-hmm. okay performing anywhere at any stage of their career so you could say i want to see wow. led zeppelin awesome. led zeppelin three I want to see them in Germany, uh, anything. Where would you go back in time? What would you see? Where would you see them? Wow. Okay. Uh, this is awesome. Um, I would go back in time and see Howling Wolf. Uh, oh, my and God. I'd want to see, one. And I'd want to see him at some complete juke joint uh, in the Chitlin circuit, you know, where he, you know, in a small place, just everything that would typify that country blues experience. I'd want to see that. Mm-hmm. I'd want to see, um, I'd want to be on the European tour with Otis Redding and Booker T and the MGs in like 1967, I think it was, when they went over there and they were kings. Mm. Like if you go watch the videos on YouTube of that tour when Otis was there and uh, Booker T and the MGs were his backup band, warm-up band, part of the Marques were there. Yep. Um, they, they were the horns. Like that shit just looks electric, man. That shit just looks other worldly well it's so funny okay, you say so, that because i was thinking that they were like aliens that got dropped down these people are probably like who the fuck are these two that's right especially in britain right because it's soul music you know and at the time it was just like it was so desired to be able to be experienced so i think that would be just phenomenal wow. um like and then uh i probably want to see a bunch of stuff that you know you wouldn't expect like certainly i want to see the stones in the 72 tour or whatever you know yep. but like i never got to see prince live and i would have liked to see him at a small show that was unfortunate oh that's a good call. um yeah and uh you know i probably want to see like you know who i really want to see live in his heyday is warren zevon like he has a great live album called um stand in the fire oh. and uh, he is he was a you know a drunk right but yeah. he was completely unhinged during the show it just seemed like such an electric thing to be a part of so that that would be cool and then, um, uh, you know, one of my other favorite live albums is is called uh, um, Otis Rush Live at the Wise Fools Pub yeah. in Chicago. And uh, it's like, it was an old Chicago blues bar. It's like, you know, on the corner kind of thing. He was just there with his band, just just a powerhouse, you know. So I, I, I think some of that obscure stuff would be really cool to see. Stuff yeah. you just will never see again. Totally. Excitable Boy still holds up. There's not a yep. bad song on the whole album, and that was when he was I just agree. getting started. Um, yep. I, and I could name 50 things that I'd want to see, but one that I actually saw at Plymouth, and they're not even – I don't even like this band necessarily. They're okay, but they're not my thing. <clears throat> but it was interesting to be there. So 1990, I think it was 90 because we were at 23 High Street or whatever that was, the place that – on High Street. I think it was High Street. Uh, right next to the Mub or the Cub or whatever yeah. it was called, right? Okay. So all of a sudden, one morning, we roll out of bed, look, look downstairs, and there's that parking lot right next door, and there's like three or four VW buses. And I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? Like, and they're all like Vermont plates. So I'm like, that's weird. And so oh. we walk over, and it was fucking Fish. Fish played yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Mub before they were anybody, and there was like 30 people in the Mub. Like, we just yeah. walked in, and they were jumping around the trampoline. They had the fucking vacuum cleaner. And I remember thinking, who the fuck are these guys and why would anybody care about them? And then, you know, they're selling out hundred thousand seat 
you know, tours four nights in yeah. a row forever. Let me, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to one up you. So when yes. I went to high school, when I went to high school and graduated in 1990 in high school, they came to Keene, New Hampshire. No they way. They played at the little colonial theater. Yeah. We went and saw them bouncing, bouncing around the room, trampolines, all the good stuff. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. That's awesome. Hey, do the ends justify the means? <laughs> um, do the ends justify the means? I think in my world, um, they kind of have to. I think the ends have to justify the means because, um, because at some point you end up at a destination and it may not be the final one. It could be a milestone, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, in my world, um, the ends justifying the means means that you probably made some good decisions along the way. Okay. You made some good choices in your life and uh, you've taken the right kind of actions. When you fucked up, you take responsibility for them, but you are where you are at any given time and you got there somehow. So, you know, I, I, I think that, Ideally, the ends need to justify the means. I like that. That's a good answer. That's it. And I've asked that question on this show probably, I don't know, eight or nine times. And that's a unique answer. And what you've done is you've taken the question and you've just flipped the perception of, of what the question actually means where you gave an answer. And I, yeah. I, I dig that. Um, okay. How many push-ups can you do in a row without stopping? Oh, um, right now? Oh, I could, I could probably – I could easily do – I could easily do about 130. I bet I could do 150. I bet I could do 200. Easy. Do you do them every day? Every day. So that's that's fucking awesome, first of all. Uh, You always like, even when we were idiots and partying, you always tried to to, to maintain some semblance of being in shape. Um, So what's your routine right now to stay in shape? All right. So I'm pretty fit. Um, I work out every morning. Um, to answer your push-up question, there was a period, I think it was 2016, I got bored with my workout. So I decided I'm going to do pull-ups and push-ups every day. Mm-hmm. So I started doing, um, at that point, I could do, easily do, easy, do 200 at a time. Damn. And I was doing, uh, yeah, two, three sets of 200 push-ups. And then I was able to do three sets of 50 pull-ups. Okay, wait like, a minute, wait crazy. a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's slow down here. You're telling me that in a day, in one day, you would do three sets of 200 push-ups or 600 total push-ups. Yeah, I do it every other day. I did that for like six months, and then my elbows gave out. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude, that's fucking extreme. I mean, yeah. that's awesome. So, but... <clears throat> and then, uh, so now, now what do I do is I get up every morning, I don't know, four or five, five, yep. work out for like 40, 45 minutes. Um, once, uh, I used to be a gym person, but then once, even before COVID, yeah. I, I was like, I have no time to go to the gym. You know, working all the time, six-year-old daughter, you know, husband and all that. So and I was just compromising everybody else's time. So I decided, okay, I'll just do it at home, save time. So um, I started working out at home before COVID, and then obviously COVID hit. So then I get up every morning. I get like some dumbbells here, mostly yep. body weight, dumbbells, just go through some routines, do the same thing all the time, get a that's Peloton. Awesome. Just uh, I kind of feel stupid about but I but I like it. But, um, yeah, that's what I did. That's cool. And, I, and I'm kind of stating the obvious here, but, I mean, don't you feel like – I certainly feel this way. Like, if I don't work – if I don't get my workouts in, I'm not the same at work. I'm a big yeah. – I'm, I'm an asshole to people. Like, my, my whole mood is off. Like, I don't feel as sharp. I don't feel like – I don't feel like I'm appreciating life as much as I do when I'm on my routine. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I'm definitely a healthy body, healthy mind kind of person. Totally. And – um. And uh, so I kind of live by that. So mm-hmm. and here's the other thing. So I just turned 49. Yep. And um, I think early on, it did a lot of damage. You know, just having fun. It was good fun. Yep. And, um, and now I'm just not that way anymore because yeah. I'm getting older. I have a six-year-old daughter. I, it, this summer, I'll be married 20 years. It's just not an important part of my you life. You can't do it. And I, you, can't, you can't do it. Yep. I don't want to do it anymore. And here's the thing. I, I figure that, you know, I, I don't know how many years I have left. But I just figure before something gets me that I can't control, some yeah. kind of disease or body, whatever, I'm going to do whatever I can to put my health in the best possible state I can be in. So yeah. I can control what I can control. I'm a big control what I can control person. Yep. So, um, you know, I think that's really important. And, uh, you know, I like to have beer and go out and have fun with people, but it's just not the same anymore. And that doesn't need to be. But yeah. it's even like everything, what I eat and try to sleep more and all those good things. And. Because you don't know what's going to happen, you know? Like, my my old man died when he was 67. Yeah, I know. The way I look at it is, he died when he was 67. Yep. Yeah. Like, six years ago or something. And um, so, I'm 49. Right. Right? So, what, what if I only had 17 years left to live? I know. You know? And, and I'm sure the benefit of his hindsight, you know, I'm just trying to use wisely. Yeah. No, that's the wise words, man. I 
I appreciate that perspective, and, and I think it's really smart. So thinking that you're, you're a parent of a young kid, yep. second grade, first grade? Uh, she's in senior kindergarten. Okay, kindergarten. Um, so do yep. you think that it's harder to be a parent now with your kindergarten daughter, or do you think it's harder to be a parent when we were growing up? Well, now you're going to ask me something else. Um, I'll tell you what. I uh, The is only six. So it's not that hard in a sense. Like she's, she's not as ex- easier to aware. control than when someone's 16. Exactly. If you ask me that question, if she's 16, you ask me that question, or if I see some of my other friends and, and I probably have a different answer, but yeah. like right now, I think, you know, what we're trying to do is just balance the, you know, what kind of habits we want to create for her. Um, because, you know, a lot of long time, lifetime habits are created now. What do we, habits we want to create for her right now? What things we want to expose her to? So, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about that a lot, but you know, certainly right now it's about just learning how to spell and read and have fun and, and, and figure out what she likes to do, arts and crafts, sports and that kind of thing. That's what cool. I thought you were going to ask me was what, what, what I think was harder, like, you know, having uh, a daughter in mid forties, uh, or should I have done it a long time ago? Okay. And, well, you know what? Let's, let's pretend that I did ask that and let's hear your answer. Cause I like that question. All right, cool. So I'll tell you, I, I would, my answer to that would have been, or is, I don't know if it's harder or easier to have a child in your 40s as opposed to earlier, first child. I think it's better. Yeah. And, and I think personally, subjectively, I think it's better. I'm more prepared. I'm much more mature and stable person. Right, right. And, uh, and I've had enough life experiences and, and, and think that I can contextualize them for her in the right way. Yeah. And um, so I, I just think I'm more equipped, you know, and, and just personally ready. I have a long career. had some right. good success with it. My wife and I, you know, we've married 20 years, so we were 14 years, Julie and I, before we had a kid. So, wow. um, and, uh, so now we feel like really youthful because of it. And, yeah. and uh, so I think it's really good. I like this. I like the way we've done it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's cool. And I think that every single situation out there, whether you're in, you know, a six-year-old kid when you're 49 or you've got a six-year-old kid when you're 28 or whatever, you know, it's like it, it, it has to work for that certain situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think that, in the same way, I'd flip it around. I had kids really early, as you know. I mean, I, my, yeah, yeah. my kids are now 23 and 26. Yeah. And in yeah. some ways, you know, uh, we gave up a lot early. I'm not married anymore. So in some ways, it's actually, you know, you guys get along great. I didn't get along great with my wife towards the end there. So it yeah, actually sure. worked out well. Um, but it, was, it wasn't by design. It was just like – and we actually did talk about it at the time. Like, do we want to have time later? Do we want to have time now? And we just decided to have kids early. And in retrospect, I'm glad we did, but not for the reasons that we made the decision. We made the decision yeah. thinking that, oh, we'll have time later. But now <laughs> it's just like, I'm glad I don't have to still be entangled with, with that. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. I think it's, you know, and, and sometimes it's, you don't know enough to think any differently. You're just doing it because it feels right. That's yeah. right. That's it. Um, okay. As an organization, if you want to call it that, our fraternity did not have really the best track record uh, with retaining houses um we had one seized by the school we had one burned down we literally had one bulldozed into a parking lot uh and then we lost two (laughs) other uh two landlords and they were overly sensitive to how we use them and they refused to rent to us so all that happened in a few short years so with that as the backdrop what do you think our problem was um we're destructive people we were destructive (laughs) wild um, disrespectful, animalistic use. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't think there was a lot of uh, a lot of care. Right? You know, um, now I will tell you though, the one house still stands uh, on Twenty Three High Street. It's still there, and uh, yep. it's still there, and uh, that's where I lived there for two years. Yep. You and I were roommates for like a brief second. We call it roommates because. It, I, I don't even know if it was a room or if it was a parlor or as a, a den. I know uh, I, had a, I had a floor. I, I had a floor. You slept on the floor. I slept yeah. in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think everything that you said is true as far as reasons why we lost all that house. I think the other thing, we weren't very good at looking ahead. Like I remember every time that we would get into a house situation, like when we had the one pleasant 32 and we had the first high street house, you know, we could have bought 32. We didn't, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and Pleasant burnt down. And we probably could have bought 23. We didn't do it. You know, so we, we were just like, yeah, that's a good idea. But let's buy that keg and talk about it later. You know, it was like we were just totally. too busy living in the moment. And there's nothing wrong with that because I kind of like, 
you know, there is no more. Our fraternity is is gone. And, yeah. I, and, and in one way, it's kind of sad. But in the other way, I kind of like the fact that we we kind of burnt it to the ground. You know what I mean? Like totally. You know, we we totally. burnt, we we did everything we could do, and we left a pile, literally a pile of ashes there. And, and that's all right with me. I think uh, it, it was. It, we lived very disposable. Uh, we had a very disposable attitude to pretty that's much a everything. Good way to put and, it. And, and in the words of, of Jim Morrison, we wanted to get our kicks before the whole shit house went up in flames. <laughs> and we did. And it did. And we did. Um, okay. Who was, in your, uh, I would call it an expert opinion, who was the best member of the Three Stooges and who was the worst oh. member of the Three Stooges? Well, I, in my mind, I really only think there's three members of the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. And. I think the um, the most heralded member of the Three Stooges, Curly. Right? People love Curly. He was he was the centerpiece because he was the um, instigator and the recipient of most of the slapstick. That's right. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I thought he was great, and uh, I loved him for you know the the goofy aloofness that that he was. But I think Larry was the silent killer. Like mm. he did a ton of funny shit that was so below the rate or, or off the radar uh i thought he was he was awesome and then uh never was a shemp fan i just always had animosity for him because he came in after curly and he just he was a hack and then any of the uh you know the, the um w- w- yeah the uh what is it called the uh uh you know the curly the, joe the curly from the the curlies from the other dimension curly <laughs> joe and, and joe dorita they were horrible yeah no i mean i i I agree with you. And I think Larry, the reason why he was the, un, he was kind of like the glue. He was the ultimate straight man. Like he wasn't ever totally. the most crazy. He never was the most wacky. Like Mo was super aggressive and kind of like thought he was the smart leader. And he had Curly yeah. who, like you were saying, he was like the slapstick guy. But in, in, if everybody was like Curly or Mo, if there were three Mo's, it wouldn't be funny. You needed yeah, that right. balance of Larry to make it all all work out. Um, okay. and the cool thing, yeah. the cool the, wait, the cool thing between Curly and Larry was I don't know if you ever knew this, but they always dressed Larry in Curly's clothes and Curly in Larry's clothes. So all the Cur- Curly's clothes were too small and Larry's clothes were too big. I did, they did not that know that. Yeah. Wait, wait, Next time you watch it, is that intentional? Yeah, they did that intentionally. Larry always had clothes that were too big for him. Curly always had clothes too small for him. Fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> All right. So next, uh, next and last three Stooges question. In your opinion, again, uh, if you can, if you can pull one out, and if you can't, that's fine. But what was the best or most memorable Three Stooges episode of all time? Okay. Yeah, you know, there's a few of them. Disorder in the court was a really funny one because they had to go to court mm-hmm. for the murder of Cock Robin, and uh, they were witnesses, and that was really funny. Um, my, one of my favorite ones is uh, um, when Curly used to wrestle Bust Off, and whenever he heard Pop goes the weasel, he lost his shit. And the only way they could, the only way they could calm him down was the cheese. <laughs> what, like smelling the cheese? Yeah, like they'd shove oh cheese in his mouth. They they shove it in his mouth. He go, they'd go here, Camembert. He'd go, no, Roquefort. <laughs> and, and like he had to have certain cheese to calm him down. I go on and on, but that's probably enough. <laughs> All right, so we talked about uh, streaming earlier. <clears throat> we talked about the soul of having a vinyl collection and, and, and the experience of unloading it. But let's and, and never mind like the, the medium that music comes across, but, but let's talk about the talent, right? So let's go back okay. and, and let's just look at like the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s, and you know, then the 90s gets a little bit murky. But do you think that there are any signs of life in terms of uh, new talent. Like uh, when I look at the musical landscape, it's really depressing because it's like a lot of, you know, it's a lot of rappers that it's not really music to me. There's a lot of, you know, pop shit that I don't like. It's a lot of TikTok bullshit. Like to me, and I might sound like an old guy and that's fine because I am, but to me, it's like all the best music that we could go out there and listen to right now has already been written. Um, but I'm wondering, from your perspective, do you see any signs of life? Is there something that I'm missing? Is there a way to find new, upcoming, fresh, artistic talent out there? You know, it's a good question. I spend I, my 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 opinion is well, most of the stuff I like is was written before before 1980, right? Yeah. And um, and I still think there's a hell of a lot to dig into. You know, there's so much 
deep catalog of people that, that you can get exposed to. And so I, I have a lot of fun like going back and doing that, right? Okay. But I think as far as the new stuff goes, I actually think there's quite a bit. And, and I, I think it's, um, I think the stuff that's most popular is the, the shit that you and I wouldn't like. Okay. Everything yep. that you just mentioned, like, I don't know who the pop charts are all about or what a pop chart is anymore. And I really honestly, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man, but I don't really, I actually don't really know what she does. You know, I don't know what her songs are or the weekend, whatever. I saw them on the Super Bowl, and I was like, you know, this is bad. I, it's not a weekend I enjoy. And, uh, <laughs> bad weekend. That's not, that's not like an old dad man joke, but, but I, I tell you what, I, here's what I do. I, I usually, my, my, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree from a music perspective. Like I usually like things that are that degrees of separation from um, blues music, yep, okay, soul music from the mm-hmm. you know from the from the south like that soul, um, and uh, older country music, you know, like okay. Willie Waylon, Merle, that sure, kind of stuff. Sure, like those are the those are the things I love. And then of course I loathe to call it classic rock, but that's what people would think of if I started to describe some artists. But right. that stuff that is you know legacy rock, whatever they try to call it today. That's all the stuff I like, and I like degrees of separation of that. So, and mostly I've been listening to the last few years is like really Americana type stuff. Okay. That's a shitty label, a shitty genre, but Americana. So guys like, you know, Jason Isbell, he's really good. Um, there's a guy named Sturgill Simpson who I fucking love. No, I you know, don't know him. Sturgill he's Simpson. very good, yeah. He's kind of country, but he's, I kind of think he's a, he's Neil Young in a way that he, he does what he wants and he doesn't give a shit. Yep. Um, and I like him. It's another guy that's like really straight up, like, you know, early country stuff. His name is Charlie Crockett. He's new, but he also has some like blues and R and B and some Cajun in him. He's really good. Sure. Um, there's a, a band, there's a band out of Australia called the Teskey brothers. Um, three guys and they have a really soulful sound and, mm. and that's, that's really strong. I like that a lot. And then there's somebody like, who's probably a little more mainstream, like the black keys. I'm not in love with them and I wouldn't wave their flag, so to speak, but, like they have a new album coming out and uh, it's called Delta cream and it's just an ode to Mississippi Hill country blues artists. Yep. And uh, like that's so far what I've heard really good, you know? Yeah. But so it, that's the kind of thing I, I actually, uh, after this, I'll share this with you. You can share it. I don't know if you put links in your podcast, Oh yeah. but I've got a couple, uh, I've got a couple playlists I think are really good. So over the last like three years, whenever I hear a new song I like that's in my wheelhouse, I put it in this playlist. So it's nice. like a collection of newer shit that I like. It's not far from what I really love. That's cool. Yeah, Black Keys, I'm on the same page. Like, I, I don't hate them. I don't love them, but I do respect yeah. them because, yeah. you know, th- their story is really interesting, and I'm not going to bore people with it right now, but the bottom line is they, they truly loved music, and the way they make their sound with two people, um, yeah. you know, it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? So I, I like the concept around how they're doing it, and they're authentic. I mean, like them or not, they are who they put out there. You know what I mean? They're doing yeah. it for themselves, and, and that's uh, that's important. And it's, it's I agree. far and, too and I'll, rare. I'll tell you this. I think the, the best band, my favorite band to go see live now, and I will never miss, and uh, they're, they're a total evolution of the shit that I, I would really I really love way back from the blues and then all the way through the 70s, beyond through the Allen Brothers, is uh, uh, Tedeschi Trucks, yes. Eric Trucks and Susan Tedeschi. I mean, they're, right now, there, there isn't anybody that can put on a better live show musically than them. And so whenever they're in town, I go see all their shows. They're fantastic. Well, that comment is a perfect segue to my next question, which is oh, great. normally I asked, hey, you know, what's the best concert you've seen? But you've seen so many that I felt like one would be impossible. So the question is, what are the top three concerts that you've ever seen? Holy shit. Okay, I can do this. Um, now, let's just set the stage. I have gone to, I don't know how many hundreds of concerts. Like when I lived in, London, I went to a lot of concerts because there's so many people come through there and so many venues, so it's a lot. But in New York right. City, I threw shit there. In Chicago, there's all kinds of music going on. Australia, when I lived there, wasn't wasn't a lot of a lot of action come over there because they're so isolated. But when they did, they were really good. Like Salvo Diddley there, and you know, people. So I would tell you, I think there's three that really stand out for me. So number one, first and foremost, is uh, Keith Richards and the Expensive Winos, February 13th, 1992, nice. at the Orpheum in Boston. That that has to stay, that stands out for me because Keith is my hero, right? So, like the fact that I got to go see him in the band, um, you know, it's something one of those again one of those memories I can feel being there, right? Yeah. And the craziest fucking part about that was a Japanese TV station happened to be there that night. They recorded the whole thing, so there's a DVD of the entire concert of the night I went. No way. <laughs> yeah, in bootleg. It? So like, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can get it on Amazon. It's like it's 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 the full concert of the one show I went to. So it's oh, like so you know, cool. how cool is that? Yeah, there's that. Um, Plus, Oregon's then, a great place uh, to see a show. Fantastic place. Yeah. And then the the other one is um, uh, so Levon Helm, drummer of the band. Sure. Uh, Levon um, lived in Woodstock, New York. He had a barn up there. It's actually his house. The barn was attached to his house. There's a recording studio. A lot of history with him. Yeah. I could talk about it for hours. I won't. But what he did in the 2000s, early 2000s, was he needed money. So he would hold, on Saturday nights, he would hold something called the Midnight Ramble yep. um, at his barn on a Saturday. It would start at, like, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something. And local musicians would play. And some holdovers from the Woodstock of the 60s lived there. John Sebastian, like whoever, right? And um, so he used to do that. And then it became a, a, like a venue. And he would host these things every now and then. It got more frequent. Then he started doing them every weekend. And some big names went there to record um, albums. And they would show up on Saturdays. And they would play and be local musicians and, you know, A, B, and C type artists. So um, at the, he did that for a while. And I really wanted to go. So in 2011, I was living in London. Yep. And I said, I moved. I moved from Australia in 2009. I'm like, I got to go to this. I got to go. So in 2011, January, I bought a ticket. I flew to from London to New York by myself. No way. Rented a car. Yeah, rented a car, drove there, and I went. I stood in line. So I went to Woodstock, and I stayed at a little like motel. And uh, then you go to his house. You drive to his house, and you drive down his driveway. And you, you park in his driveway. There's, they take your ticket, and you go there. And the whole thing, it's like a community thing. So what they do, what they do is... What they, what they do, and they, they're doing this now, but COVID derailed it. But what they do is you show up and they open up the garage and the garage is kind of like a merch tent in a way, yep. but it's also like a community center. So they encourage you to bring food. So like people were making lasagnas and sandwiches and desserts and bringing things. So I went to the local bakery and bought a pie and I came in and put it down on the table, you know, <laughs> and, and then you wait in line and you, you're hanging out with all the people and then you go in and it's this intimate barn, right? It's, like, it's a barn and there's folding chairs and it's like this intimate setting. And, um, when you go in, you can, they have, it's a beautiful barn, all handmade, you know, and, uh, um, no nails, it's all pegged wood and all this stuff. And so there's a balcony, you can go stand up there when it's packed, you can sit in the folding chairs on the floor. And then behind the band, behind the band, there's like a riser, it's like another stair, but it's open. And that's where like the mixing booth is if you're recording an album, but you can stand behind the band and against like this little railing. And like it would be hitting midway on your thighs if you were standing there. And you could you could just reach over with your arm and tap the horn player on the shoulder. That's how wow. close you are. So you can you can be right on top. So I went then in January and it was like unbelievable. And so that year, then I said, Julie, you gotta go see this. So then we flew in August of 2011 um, just to take her, and she was just blown away. It was awesome. That is so. And then cool. I went one more time in um in in 2011 because. One of my favorite new bands is called Dawes, right? Do you know them? What's it called? Dawes? I don't know Dawes, no. You, you'd like them. You'd like them. So anyway, so um, they were playing there on December 3rd, 2011. I said, well, I'm going to go see them. Well, when I showed up, I didn't know there was going to be this extravaganza, right? So Dawes comes out and opens up the set. They're like, hey, we brought a friend with us. And Jackson Brown came out. No and Jackson way. Brown said, yeah, and Jackson Brown was like, they said that if I played here, I could pick any songs I want. So he just did Bob Dylan covers, which was Get awesome. Get the fuck out. Yep. Wow. And then and then the guy that lived down the road, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, yes. he came out and played. Holy right? shit. And then wow. this guy named this guy named Jimmy Vavino, he's a really popular musician. He's he was Conan O'Brien's band leader for many, many years. Okay. He lives down the road. He came out and he played, you know, the songs of Rick Danko and and uh Richard Manuel, two oh band members God. that died. So he yeah. played for a while. Right? And um and then uh and then Levon and his band came out and played. So it was like almost four hours of music. And the crazy thing was, after the gig, like when it was all done, you, you got to picture this. There's 300 people there. The place is packed. Whoa. There were movie stars there. Everything was a massive thing. And the room can barely hold 300. Right. And people, when they got to the wait at the end of the concert, they were singing. Like people were just singing and hugging and crying. It was like a crazy thing. And then we all went down the garage and hung out together. <laughs> I was hanging out with Jackson Brown just shooting the shit for the longest time. It was awesome. Oh, my God. That is fucking cool. That's yep. the kind of so that shit. Was, that's magic. That's there's no. I think I like about that is that is the anti corporate show. There's no sponsors. Yeah, yeah, there's totally. No bullshit. There's just people liking music, playing it. That is fucking that's dope. Right. That's right, man. That's, that's cool. That's dope. Um, all right. <clears throat> so, you used to uh, summer in Rye, New Hampshire, uh, yep. many years. 
Uh, and I grew up in Rye, New Hampshire. We didn't know each other back then. What was your favorite memory of going to Rye and staying? Did you say at the Atlantic Four Winds? Is that where you stayed? That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So what was your favorite memory of those summers? Um, well, look, my uh, my dad grew up in Portsmouth, and um, so we used to spend a ton of time there growing up. We were in yep. Keene, so it was a two-hour drive. And um, see, I think we went for like, I don't know, 15 years, and uh, every summer for like two or three weeks or something like that. Um, to be honest, I just loved Portsmouth. I mean, Portsmouth is like kind of a special place to me because, you know, big Italian family there. We used to go there all the time, and it was yeah. always just like this. I really appreciate it. Like, I remember... Whenever we went, we used to go to Moe's. We used to go to Sessions, the music sure. shop. I would spend hours in there, right? And um, and then, uh, so we spent a lot of time at the beach. And it was re- really always just a great family affair, like getting a, a soft serve ice cream cone at Pirate's Cove. Uh, not at Pirate's Cove, but, you know, the place next to the Red Roof Market. You know, it's like... That, that, the Driftwood. That, to me, the Driftwood. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I loved all that. And then we go to Hampton and, and to the arcades on rainy beach days, you know? And so I just loved being at the Seacoast. And I loved being in Portsmouth, loved being in Rye and... It was great. And then once I got older, you know, I love going to the decks in Portsmouth and, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and doing all those things. So it was just, um, it was just a really, I, I just felt like a lot of freedom there and it was a lot of fun. So, and Portsmouth is just a great city. So I, I loved all just the, the beach life, New Hampshire seacoast thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And you mentioned, God, I haven't thought about this in so long, but Sessions, what a cool ass store, that? man. And I'll tell you what, that was a sad day when that, when that the record store, store. Closed. yeah, and I, there's still one yeah. record store in Portsmouth, but it's not the same. It's Bull, Mu- Bull, Bull Music, Bull, yeah, and they're and they're okay, you know. But it, there, yeah. there was something about Sessions where it just felt like I don't know. You can't get that feeling anymore. It was real music lovers, and the guy that owned it lived upstairs, and it was just different. It was an old movie theater. Remember that? It was like yeah, the old yeah. Civic or the old Cinema. I forget which one now, but they used to. Yeah. And that's where if you wanted to go see a concert. The Ticketmaster was inside the record store. That's how they used to That's all right. do them, and so you had to wait That's out right. there and, and get your tickets there. Holy shit! All right, so we got two ticket, uh, two tickets. Sure, we got two questions left. All right, first question. Um, I like to frame things in the context of Mount Rushmore because you had to pick four things, <laughs> and I like to I, I like to erase the faces of the old white men and and put things you like up there. And you got to it, it gives you some room. You got four. It's not one. Uh, so if okay. you had to pick the Mount Rushmore of the most influential musical artists, who would they be now? Oh and it can God. be either, either you can take this either way, either influential to you, right? That formed your opinion of music, formed your taste in music and where you are now and having an 800, you know, piece ah. record collection, or you can take it as, okay, who's the most influential to music as a whole? who inspired the people that came after them, or you could do a mix. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so Mount Rushmore of musical artist, the most influential type. Wow. 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 I, I don't want to, I could pick some really esoteric bullshit. People wouldn't know what I was talking about. You could do that all day long. Um, but what I'll say is I think, um, well, I think Muddy Waters has to be up there okay. because he, from where he came from, the country blues and what he created, the electric blues in Chicago and what, who he turned on, yeah. like how fucking influential is that guy? <laughs> totally. right? um, and then I'm going to try to do this by genre, okay? Because I think this might be the easiest way for me to do All it. All right, dig it. Otis Redding. Oh, fucking love Otis. Yep. Okay. I think Otis was a powerhouse. Don Twirly. I think he's one of the, he, like John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, Dwayne all um, But okay, so Muddy, Otis. Um, I have to say, I have to say Neil Young because yes. like, Neil is, he's about as iconoclast as you can get. And I don't know if what he will do will endure from a musical influence perspective, but, but who he is will. Because he basically just said, I don't give a fuck what's popular, what I do is popular. Whenever he had a hit, you know, he went the other direction yeah. and he did whatever he felt. And what was important to him was the muse, you know, and having his antenna up and coming up with an idea and running to it, even if it meant shelving something that was potentially legendary. Yeah. So I like him because of that, because I think he inspires artistry and music musicians. And then, um, man, it's like, it should be a rotating spot for the last one because it could be Keith. It could be Johnny Cash. You know, it could be 
I don't know, you know, it could be Bob Dylan. It could be so many people. Um, I'll throw one out there. Here's somebody I really like, Leon Russell. Yeah. I put Leon Russell up there because he was like a session man on many great hits and um, worked with some great bands. And like his flame didn't burn bright for a long time. Some of the stuff he did, either himself or that he was a part of, was like fucking legendary. Yeah. And I just think he was a bad cat, man. I think he was really cool. That's so awesome. that's a grab bag for you. That's a good collection. Muddy Waters, Otis, Neil Young, Leon Russell. Neil Young, I was lucky enough to see him open for the Grateful Dead in 19, either 89 or 90 at uh, yeah. Ocean Park or Ocean, whatever, in Buffalo, New York, whatever. I think it was Ocean Park. Yeah. Orchard Park. That's what it's called. Orchard Park. Orchard Park. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he came out and, and actually I think Garcia might have come out and played a song with him too, but he was fucking amazing. Um, really dig Neil Young. A good one. Okay, listen, fast one. You asked me three concerts, I thought, right? I told you that took a long time. Here's yeah, yeah, one yeah. You mentioned Buffalo. You mentioned so one time, hanging out in Nashua with three guys that we went to college with, mm-hmm. and on a, the Stones were playing. I think it was two, 1997. A tour came out. I had bought four tickets to see the Stones in Buffalo. I had never even been to Buffalo. The show was on a Wednesday. Yep. On Wednesday morning, I was hanging out with one of the guys in a cigar shop, and I said, hey, man, I got these four tickets to the Stones in Buffalo. He's like, hmm, let me make a call. We chartered a plane, a, a six-seater plane, four people, two pilots, called the other three, two guys and said, we're going to go to Buffalo. We chartered the plane to fly us to Buffalo, drop us off. They had something else to do. We went to the concert, drank the whole way, partied the whole way, landed, got out. We got on the tarmac, plane landed, our plane leaves. They tell us, you can't go anywhere. Stay here. We have a plane coming in. Everybody has to stay where you are. The plane comes in. It's the Stones. Get the, the stones, fuck they, out. They roll up the stairs to the Stones. Stones come down. There's all these people with signs waiting to greet them. And so we're there, all pumped up, and the Stones start coming down, and one of the guys lights a cigar. And so that's a bad thing to do when you're on the tarmac. So... Um, <laughs> They shuffled us out of there fast and got rid of us. We were like right about to meet the Stones. We were like the welcoming crew. So then a a limousine is waiting for us outside that airport. Drove us to the stadium. We went there. Party, party. The whole time we're taking, this is in 97, so we had disposable cameras that you buy at the drugstore. Oh, I remember Having a great time. Sure. Right? And so we had a great time. Saw the show. Show got done. Limo picked us up. Drove us to the airport. We got on the plane and flew home. 13 hours round trip that next morning. Yep. Next morning we get up. We're like, let's go to Walgreens and get the film developed. Okay. That's how long ago this is. We go there <laughs> we're in line, and I'm there and I'm like, guys, I think there's something wrong with this camera. I opened it up. There was no fucking film in it. Oh yeah. Well, we screwed it up. So we have no pictures. Again, the pictures that are in your mind are better than anything that could be on totally. paper. You know, totally. That deserves okay. to be in the list of top three for sure. Yeah. That's fucking cool. That was fun. All right, <clears throat> so you've lived a lot That's of cool fun. places: uh, yep. Boston, Chicago, London, Sydney, Australia, uh, just yep. to name a few. And out yep. of those four places, or you can go outside that list, and you can pick anywhere. You can pick Keene. You can pick anywhere you've lived. Um, What's your favorite place that you've ever lived to live and why? Um, well, all the places, everything is subjective, right? Like in, in the context of when I lived there and how young I was and all, all the things we did. Yep. So I could kind of go on and on about that. But I tell you, of all the places I lived, I think Sydney was the coolest. Like, mm. I could see my, I joke around and say that Sydney is uh, like my retirement home. Like I could just pack up and go live there forever. Um, it's, uh, it's the people, it's the culture. It's kind of, I really like the isolation because you really feel like you're three days behind on the news when you're down there. Yeah. Um, it's just like the, they had this life work mentality, not work life mentality. And it was just all about like having a good time and, and being with your mates and, and enjoying like some of the greatest like scenery and, and, uh, uh, uh coast in the world, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. And, uh, I love, I love being there for that. Like that was just a great place. And we met so many great people. Like we were there for five years. And, uh, you know, and, uh, we, we just we had such a great network of friends. It was a lot of fun. That was a great time. Yeah. That's awesome. I got a buddy who actually went to Plymouth also who lives there now and he's married to an Australian woman. They've got some kids, uh, together and everything. And he loves it for the same reason. And they, it's kind of the same thing. It's like they, 
their uh, you know their focus is on hey let's have fun with our friends now yeah, yeah. we all have jobs yeah. but let's what are we doing that's fun um and yeah. and that's when they they actually got married over here and so they brought a whole crew of people over from Australia and those guys know how to party Australians totally. know yeah. how to party and they that's like fun to party. man yeah it's a great cool. time. Well, listen. Jed, All right, listen. I, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold okay. on. Uh-oh. I got two questions for you. Oh, I got shit. two questions for you. This is, okay. We're breaking format, folks. We're breaking format. Okay. Okay. Two questions. Two questions. Yep. Do you remember the first time we met? I, I, I think I remember the first time we met, and I was actually going to preface it in the uh, – talk about it in the beginning of the, of the show, and I'll tell you what I think, and then you tell me if I've got a different memory. Okay. So the first time that we met, I think, was – we were at the 23 High Street, me, Quinn, probably Rubble on the front porch, and you and another guy, uh, DM, uh, rolled up yeah. and said, hey, um, what are you guys doing? And you, and you guys are freshmen. <laughs> you go, hey, we got a keg if you want to drink some beer. And we were like, holy shit, these kids, these freshmen have a keg of beer? Like, we didn't even have a keg. So we're like, sure. And then you rolled in a keg of beer somehow and we partied. Is yeah. that the first time? Okay. So it's close. So okay. here's what happened. This All is, right. this is very funny. Cause you just reminded me of, of something that you just totally reminded me of something. So this guy DM, my lifelong friend, yep. right? Yep. Total brother growing up, but not my brother and yeah, wheels. And, um, he's just one of the best humans ever. So he went away for the weekend and I was by myself at Plymouth. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit in the dorm by myself. We're a freshman. So I went to a, uh, a, a um, what do you call it, uh, a happy hour at yep. Kappa Sig okay. by myself. And I was there by myself. I, plain as day, Ethan, remember standing at the bar. And it was to the left. It was to my right when I was standing there. And you and that other guy, DK, yep. were, or DQ, were standing there. And you just saw me. It was like a ticket party. And you just saw me. You're like, hey, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. Like, uh, do you have any tickets to drink? I'm like, nope. And you're like, you want some? You gave me a little red ticket. And I started having a drink and then we started hanging out. You were like, you were the reason why I ended up joining that fraternity because then we started hanging out yep. at the place and I was just following you and, and DQ around. And then you guys took me back to 23 High Street and <laughs> I was sitting there like the whole night. <laughs> and um, and like I was in the basement by myself just drinking at the keg and, and, and uh, Rubble came down and he's like, what are you doing? Who are you? And what are you doing here? I'm like, well, who are I was you? like, oh, Ethan told me I could be here. So he kicked me out. And then what happened was when Wheels came back, I was yeah. like, Wheels, I met the best guys. And these guys were so cool. We got to go hang with them. And he's like, well, maybe we should go up there. I'm like, well, we go over there. We got to bring something. I was like, let's go buy a keg. So that was like my mentality. If we're going to show up, you have to bring something. So we brought a keg. And I remember like we just showed up to you guys and like two freshmen dope. You didn't even know us. And I was oh like, hey, God. we got a keg. Can we come in? That was that was monumental. Talk about making an appearance and, and an entrance. That was that was fucking great. So, real quick story about Twenty Three High Street that I love to tell. Okay. So, my dad uh, came up to help me move in or out that year. I think it was out uh, the year I lived there, and um, he pulled in with his wife at the time, and he had given me a couch from his living room. He was like, you know, here you, you can have this. He had no idea what kind of animals we were. He's like, yeah, just bring the couch back and we're done. And I'm like, sure. So he pulls up and in front of the house is a soiled version of the couch he gave me with a person sleeping on it. And the person didn't have a shirt on uh, and was holding a beer but was asleep. And that person was you. And, and I'll never forget my – I walk outside and my, and my stepmother – goes oh my god ethan is that boy okay i'm like no he's not <laughs> he's, he's just let him sleep it off he'll be fine he'll never be normal again he'll never be normal again my, um, and my dad still talks about how we ruined that couch i'm like that you gave it to a fraternity awesome. house like what do you expect yeah what do you expect okay last question for you yeah, okay in college you had a radio show this yeah. is we're coming full circle here you had a radio show do you I remember do. okay I do. yeah do you remember that i used to come on every now and then and we had a segment when i came on do you remember the name of the segment? Oh, fuck. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. Okay. Do you remember the name of the segment? Uh, so the name of the uh, – something with uh, Judd's well, – I, I, see, I, I keep thinking Judd's juke joint, but I know that's not it because that's no. what you called something later. Was it something about Jed? No. no. I don't know. It was called It was called Chew the Cud with Judd. <laughs> <laughs> now I remember. Holy shit. <laughs> 
And do you remember one time we were trying to get people to call in, ask questions, and I tried to coax people to call in yeah. by giving something away. Do you remember what it was? Oh, Jesus Christ. Was it one of those fake chip witch things that Steve Street made? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. Uh, <laughs> do you remember those green cards? Um, totally. Totally. Um, what did we give away? We gave away a, a pass to a, par- a party we were throwing? I don't know. What did we no. give away? It was a picture of my sister. <laughs> God, now I remember. Oh my God, yeah. that's so dark. Here, here's a picture of my sister. Holy <laughs> shit, that is fucking funny. Oh my God, yeah. talk about recesses of my brain, Judge. Jesus Christ, totally. I know that's I great. Know. Well, that I just I just opened up a brand new synopsis that hadn't been opened in a, in a while. God damn, that was fun. Well, Mr. Marcello, you've been a, a pleasure. You, if you could see my studio audience right now, you'd be so impressed. They're doing the wave. <laughs> They've got these big, huge flags, like European soccer flags with your face on it. They're all uh, sure. cheering. And, and uh, honestly, you've been a, a, a huge, huge uh, presence on this show. I, I, another over-hour show, and it could have gone longer. Uh, totally. Let's not wait as long next time to talk again. And uh, I'm glad to hear you you're doing well. You were one of my favorite people, uh, past and present. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I'd love to do it again, be a recurring guest. I'll be your Ed McMahon. You hey, be my Johnny Carson. I, I okay? think, think we've got to bring back Chew in the Cud with Judd. I mean, we can't, we, can't, we can't leave that name out there. I mean, it's got to be brought back to life. <laughs> we can do something with that. All right, buddy. Thank Listen, you. You have a great night. All right, man. Take later. Take care, dude.